The plunge is always scary, but taking it always pays off. So without succumbing to fear, let's dive in. All right, we're back. Yeah, second time in Two as days. many days. Yeah, this was supposed to be our big comeback show after taking a bit of a break, but now it's our big comeback show after technical difficultying our way into having to do a re-record. Not a re-record. If we're gonna have a, another conversation, a completely different conversation built upon the original one, so it should be better, more, more sharp. Yeah. All right, so now we got to uh, live up to our uh, our hype. So, I think that the thing that's on my mind most is the upcoming speech that I'm giving, titled "Winter is Coming." Yeah, uh, I'm sure listeners, some of them, do any of them hear hear you and Shul? Yeah, good, some of them will hear. All right, so I'm sure they're excited. Yeah, hopefully. Winter is coming. The words of House Stark. Is it a speech about Game of Thrones? It will make mention of Game of Thrones. Um, and the idea that what's great about House Stark, I guess, is the notion that they always hang on to the, the knowledge that the bad times are just ahead. Um, yeah. This dystopian vision. And we have a parasha that really lays out the dystopia and the full madness that it is. Yeah, everyone views House Stark as like all you know grim and overly pessimistic, but the book's perspective and th- through that the show is clearly that the Starks are uh, smart and prepared, whereas everyone else is just fooling around, uh, enjoying the moment, and they would be met with doom if not for the Starks' preparedness. Yeah, I think it's definitely applauded their uh, dire mentality. But the people in King's Landing, the people in Highgard and Casterly Rock, they think the Starks are fools. Well, I don't, I don't fully understand it. Have they not experienced bad winters? Maybe the Starks just get the worst winter, so they're always panicked about winter because it hits them up north. No, also, it's been a very long summer. How long has the summer been? I, I don't remember. I'm sure it says in the books. Twelve years. Yeah, that's a long time. Right, so in, in the midst of that, it's hard to... Uh... Yeah, that's it. It's summer. Uh, winter is coming, please. And only the people who have this uh, custom of reaffirming that winter is coming are going to be able to remember that it is. Yeah, they said winter is coming a year into the summer. Right. So I think that me and you have had this conversation a lot of times about us being uh, children of summer. You know, they start with, you have Bran and Arya who were born in the summer. They know no temperature but summer. I always talk to Big Bird about when we should have children uh, season-wise, you know, and different uh criteria that big bird puts into it is more like oh you don't want to have them at your mother-in-law's house i don't know what kind of things or her mother i don't know whatever it is but i always think well if they start with their first season being spring they're going to think that the world is so rosy only to be struck by that terrible winter that's just around the corner but if they're born in winter they'll always feel like oh the world always gets better 
Maybe, or maybe they're going to be born in winter, but they're not aware for the first few months. And they think the and then they're in spring, place. and then they're in spring, and suddenly they start, you know, realizing the world around them, and they think the world is such a rosy place, and then winter comes. Are you saying their awareness might not quite be there? Yeah, when does their awareness kick in? Uh, or it could be that they just get traumatized in winter, and they hate life, and they conclude immediately that life is hell. Yeah, it's a dark, depressing place. <laughs> But it's definitely an interesting thing to think about. And I'm sure that's why I kind of believe in like, you know, when they put the Tauruses or one quality, the this and that, whatever they call the different names, like there's definitely something to it. The order in which you perceive the seasons affecting your personality, clearly it should have an impact. Uh huh. So you, uh, you know your horoscope? I don't know if the horoscope's correct. I probably should check it out. Um, what's your horoscope? I don't know. But the internet says I'm a Pisces. I thought it was pronounced Pisces at first, but I have to look up the pronunciation. Uh, P-I-S-C-E-S. Pisces. Yeah, and the traits Hmm. are emotional, uh, adventurous, imaginative. uh, They say we're the partying type. Uh, I don't know how how accurate it is. Doesn't seem accurate. Doesn't seem accurate at all. An uncontrollable need for uh, artistic expression. It sounds like me. I think my parents might have adopted me and lied about my birth date. <laughs> <laughs> Must be. That horoscopes like... can't be wrong. Right. Fine. But regardless of if the horoscopes themselves are true, I do believe in the idea that... Oh, I'm much closer now. I do believe in the idea that... That there's some validity to it. Obviously, there's other factors. Like, even I was reading Malcolm Gladwell was saying that... Um, People that are born in January are better at sports in most of the cases because they had that chance to dominate. Well, yeah, that's different than the season you're born into. That has to do with how old you you are compared to your age group. How old you consistently are. I I would think that's way more important, right? You could be at the older end of of your age group. I think that's a huge advantage of your grade in school. Right, because you you have the opportunity to be at the top, and I think you know you start excelling, and people treat you as as a as an excelling person, and you, and you know you get more attention. You're used to being on top, right? You think that's more likely to have an impact than my seasonal idea? Oh yeah, why? But your formative days, when everything about the way that you see the world is made, it's obviously tremendous. You're not living in the forest anymore, bundled up in wraps. No, but you feel that first cold air, and you're like. Oh my God, this, I was just in that warm womb and now I'm frosted. Nah, I don't, I don't think they know yet that it's season based or world based. Like they don't have those concepts to build associations to like, does a baby have the concept of the world to even be able to say, Oh, the world is a cold place. No, they just know like resistance is the first thing that builds in them versus Whatever, whatever the, the order of processes being built is going to be influenced by the environment. Yeah, I would think. I, I don't know how, but I wouldn't be surprised if you, you're the progress of how everything happens for you is different. Also, the progress about the emotions that your parent felt are different based on the seasons when when your parent has you in them, and that's also relevant. If you're in them during the summer and they're running around consistently, they're more active or something like that in the summer, they sweat more, then that's going to do things to your development, I would think. Yeah, well, well that uh, I think there are studies for. Uh, you know, Parents that are stressed while they're pregnant, their, their children have higher cortisol levels. 
So are also more stressed. Right, so maybe you should uh, want to be pregnant like during the summer. I don't know. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. So the, but, but that would make sense then because the world is somewhat has these seasons that these seasons would Im- impact the I think, child. Yeah, I think the hereditary and the social factors are the most important. Uh, I think less important is the child and the actual environment. Because we're we're so sheltered anyways. He's going to spend how much time outside? Is it really going to be enough time to build these very strong pathways? It's going it, to... I'm Fine, sure it has some historically, effect. Historically, you would think when we were more... Uh, hit Maybe by it was elements. more significant then. Um, but what I'm trying to say is seasons still have emotions that are associated with them, even with in lieu yeah. of... could be that everyone's depressed and the first okay, words but, that they hear are social. more somber. Yeah, the way everyone treats them... But, or maybe in the winter, everyone is so excited to see a baby. It's like a, a Fine, burst but of so light. All I'm saying is I would imagine that there is There's consistencies effect, yeah. about based on when you're born. For sure. Fine, so yeah. that's what I'm saying. And it, it could be in the way that the environment impacts the person. But regardless, so we're children of summer, and this is a longer summer of peace, and this, we would obviously agree, impacts the way. Yeah. Not literal summer, but, uh, you know metaphorical summer affluence peace yeah we're fat we're soft if we had to go to Never war the man. oh my god yeah we wouldn't be we wouldn't if someone be was coming at me with a knife that would be the single worst day of my life and they have that repeatedly every day yeah if there was any chance that i was gonna die today i don't even know what my stress system my my stress system gets stressed when the warriors lost last night truthfully maybe we can't really understand that and maybe we would fare actually pretty well because uh you know some whole bi- biological process kicks in this it, it's built into us right think in israel when you almost died yeah it wasn't the worst day no the the body just took over adrenaline flooded through us yeah and uh it, it was fine no but that's because i didn't have the time with that. they didn't tell me 10 minutes before in 10 minutes uh, you may or may not die okay so no one's gonna tell you in 10 minutes someone's gonna come up to you with a knife and try but to you stay. know you're living in terror there there look we, i agree that there is some amount that we're very resistant and malleable creatures and that we probably anticipate that it would be way worse than it is yeah that i always say it's always going to be less bad than you think and less good than you think it never feels as good as you predict the good is going to feel, and it never feels as bad as you think that the bad could feel. No. Yeah. So I agree with that, but I, I do think it has to be harder for someone. Like, let's say you, you do 80 years in summer, and then it becomes winter. Yeah, it's, it's a ossified. very difficult transition. Yeah, that would be terror, true terror. So anyhow, children of summer, but... I think our tradition is kind of like the Starks, that winter is coming. We read the Kelal law. I, I always hear on Tisha B'Av, and we'll probably talk about this in more detail as that comes closer, people complaining about it's the summer, we have Israel, why are we mourning? Which I just interpret as I'm not interested in doing this. It's the summer I want to chill, not like I have any real formulated opinion or anything like that. Yeah. Just I see no problems immediately in front of me, and so I'm going to chill. I hate when people make arguments like... Uh, like with religion they'll do that they'll be like oh now that we have this there's no need to fast or this or that it's like you just don't care about it which is fine you can say that also (laughs) but then just say that yeah exactly don't give this uh bs yeah (laughs) so anyhow i heard so much of that this year at the shabbat it got pushed off to sunday it's not even the day it doesn't matter what day it is the day is definitely not the point (laughs) yeah the day is the moon is not just so how could we possibly have it 
yeah, the moon is now a day later and it's in its cycle. Yeah, it's, so it's fake it, this year. We don't really need to do it. It's dead of so, anon. Yeah, no need to commemorate the, uh, you know, the sacking of our city, the burning of our temple, or just, to, you know, in general, commemorate or remember the winter. Exactly, exactly. So I hate that spirit of the law, I guess. But, but so I guess this idea that it, it's in hours that you're supposed to have that the khurban in your house marked on your walls um you know leaving a piece unfinished that winter is coming there's what to be desired um we're not there yet yeah yeah not 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 even yeah there's what to be desired but more where you're not safe for eternity where you are don't get too comfortable and think this is it right you're not in utopia yet and you you never will be but that's the point you always have to keep your eye out on the future Right. Just to be planning ahead, right? Don't don't uh, get over and don't overindulge in the moment, right? And then I think the other piece is so with the Starks, it seems like winter's coming, and and I don't know if if preparation is what they're trying to what they're trying to get at with that, you know. But I, I would think that there's actions that you could take that could lessen the blow of winter, or even possibly control the winter from coming. Um, that some of these winters are man-induced. We create the climate for the chaos. Yeah. And uh, that's interesting. Uh, I, I just thought of it now, and it's it's analogous to Shemitah, which we want to talk about, which is the uh, seven, seven years of uh, surplus and seven years of hunger in Egypt. And traditionally, the view is that Yosef interpreted the dream correctly. But another perspective is that maybe he predicted seven years of surplus and seven and seven years of famine, and so they worked the surplus so hard that they tired out the land. They brought about the famine. <laughs> okay, that's possible. <laughs> but I heard it, and I was thinking a completely different thing. First of all, the sevens definitely line up. Definitely line up. So that makes sense. And maybe that's the point, that there will be... It, maybe he was, again, predicting winter is coming. Without him telling the pharaoh that winter is coming, no one would have saved any of the resources. Yeah, and then all all throughout the surplus, of course, they they built up stores and. Uh, right, and wheat. maybe that's the appropriate action. Like, if it's well that he he did, uh, pro- he was the one that said. I mean, because what was he saying? The fact that there were seven years of of good was understood. They were going to find that out. It was good. The food was good. Everyone would know that. So, what was really his prediction that winter is coming, famine is coming? And imagine the faith they had to have in him yeah. to say, okay, let's not enjoy the surplus. Yeah, we all want to just party and feast and be, be rich together. But instead, we're going to pay this huge tax to the to the pharaoh who's going to put, put the wheat into store for the winter that this guy predicts from a dream that, that it's coming. Yeah, exactly. But truthfully, it's not that crazy, I guess, because, uh, you know, According to, to the secular dream. understanding of yeah, it's the Pharaoh's dream. He's God. Yeah, Pharaoh's God. So that that's an interesting perspective to add to it, right? But but uh, so that that's good. That's another example of someone predicting though that winter's coming. That's how I would see it. But it may have been self fulfilling because they worked so hard that they worked the seventh year. That's Shemitah. Don't work seven years, six right. years and rest. I don't know, but that's, I think, a stretch. <laughs> a stretch. It's more of a stretch. Reading into it too much. Reading into it too much. There's no indication that he predicted it wrong. It was a good prediction, but it fits perfectly. The seven years of good, and then seven years is the most you'll ever get. Yeah, but with with 
any prediction, you have to realize that, that we live in a, a complex world. There are complex systems. And the prediction is part of the inputs of the future. Anything that happens in the future right. is it's a function of the like present a open. Self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. is a very common theme in, in and literature. And the, the right prediction is the solution to the equation. The prediction that when you make it becomes true. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, is an interesting conversation then more than I thought because you have so much of this. You have it in in uh, Game of Thrones with Cersei. Um, you have it in Harry Potter that he'll mark him as the equal. You have it in Oedipus, obviously, that he'll kill his father, but it only happens yeah. because they believe in the prophecy. Um, so, right, Joseph ending up in Mitzrayim, the only reason that he ended up there is because they took the prophecy seriously. Otherwise, they wouldn't have sold him down yeah. there and he wouldn't ended up having become king. So, but that's part of what the prophecy is predicting. The prophecy is saying, given that I make this prophecy now, this is how the future is going to play out. Right. So it could be they, they. It was the Egyptians were bound to hit famine because yeah, they wouldn't respect the seventh year and they would work the full seven years and they wouldn't. Uh, yeah. But if they had just taken a step back in the sixth year, it wouldn't be a full seven years yeah, worth it, of famine. Yeah. It would have been. A, <laughs> it could be. It's a stretch. You could say it. It's not a horrible. Um, interesting. So yeah. So. The, the prescription for how to avoid this winter that seems to be delineated is by observing the Shemitah and Yovel. Um, and we both think it's very interesting to think about the Shemitah and the Yovel. So I guess we could take one at a time. First, look at the Shemitah, which is the idea that on the seventh year, we're not going to work. And... Everyone could just like go through the fields and eat from each other's fields. You just don't collect it and stuff will grow, but you know, only in the amount that we need. Yeah. And I, I think it's important when we, when we first get into Shemitah and you mentioned this uh, in the pre- previous conversation of ours, you have to bring up the Kilalot as well, because I think they give a uh, great insight into what the meaning of Shemitah is. Right. Right. So again, the reason that we know that the Kilalot are connected to Shemitah is because it says in them, as terseha shabetoteha, the and then when you're exiled and invaders have flooded your land, Big Bird's making a particularly loud entrance this time. Hello. And she's here and she's dancing and stuff. Very excited. This is the most excited she's been. It looks like she may want to say something. <laughs> I already mentioned oh. you in, the, uh, in this one about uh, my, my theory about having uh, kids in the winter versus the summer, their first experience as opposed to which in-law's house they live in. All right, she's mm. being weird. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, that then when you're exiled, your land laid desolate and waste while the land enjoy the rest that you had withheld from it. So it being a consequence of your failure to observe the Shemitah and Yovel years, that by exploiting the land, by using it, by farming it nonstop, that is what causes the winter. Yeah, and then when you when you see it like that, you realize it's not just a nice thing that you know brings slightly greater levels of well-being, lets the people rest. It's a necessity. If you don't do this, the everything, the land, the animals, they're going to rebel on you. It it's not it's not possible, and that I think brings up the idea of sustainability. Whereas if you if you don't treat things in the right way your system will not work the land is it will no longer serve you right so you have to treat the land in a way that it could continue to serve you forever rather than just you know these seven years right so it's a natural consequence 
of your failure to respect the land. Um, and then on the Yovel cycle, you have the annulment of debts. Um, fields go back to their previous owners, which we're imagining is basically your business. I mean, you've been harvesting this field for 50 years. You took so much care to till the soil, and I don't know what you did to it, but now the field is no longer yours, going back to its original owner. Um, and on the flip side, the poor person who had lost it all, been sold into slavery because he couldn't pay his debts, now being freed, given back his land, his business, uh, and a fresh start. And the same idea, I guess, that a system where there is not social mobility is not sustainable either. Yeah, and a, and a system where the wealthy are allowed to get too wealthy, so wealthy that they have too much power, right? That they could hold on to their power for, for, for eternity or e- even for a few generations is not sustainable. And the same way maybe that the, the land and, and animals will rise up against them, maybe we could extend that analogy to Yovel. The people will rise up, right? And and we saw that with uh, you know, with uh, you know abusive governments, and oftentimes those governments are ruled by by the wealthy of the country, the powerful of the country, and the and the people say no, no more, we we won't take this. And we've seen, yeah, we've seen in human history, a Batman. I think they have a great quote. Uh, Catwoman is talking to Bruce, and she tells him. Like it was crazy that you all think that you could have it so good while the rest of us haven't have nothing for so long before Bane leads like the French Revolution kind of thing. <laughs> Gotham was was prospering. Yeah, the rich. She's at like the ball with him, and she tells him something like that. They're dancing. I don't remember the exact quote, but like that idea. How long could you have all the money? How is that sustainable? How is that a system that works? Yeah, well. In the in the first Batman, that was that was definitely part of the problem, right? The the rich were 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 rich, and they weren't really caring for the poor, right? The poor were were criminals and, and you know living horrible lives and whatever, and uh, that's what Batman was trying to fix. So maybe it's it's really the same story, the first and the third movie, right? In the first one, uh, Raoul Ghoul or whatever his name is, the yeah, he believes he, and he kind of believes in the Shemitah idea. The only way to fix it is to burn it all down. Yeah. And and so does... And Bane has the similar uh, belief. Big Bird's making a second appearance. Oh, wow. Hey. We might I actually don't know have this a, guy a, a guest be. star. Yeah, we have someone who may be willing to speak. Ernie, Burt, and... Maybe he's Elmo. Like. For someone. Elmo. He's Elmo. Zoe? Zoe? Big Bird says his name is Zoe. He's offended. Zoe's female, though. Um, what's up, Elmo? Do you wanna you wanna speak? Elmo. You could get closer to to yeah, Mars. Yeah, you have to get, get to a mic if you want to speak. Mine, mine his you really mic have is, to make out with. We're just uh, it, we have to pick Sesame Street characters. Yeah. Also, Elmo's very jolly. He's not the brightest. Oh. Okay, <laughs> he's got to think up his lines. It's not that scripted. Um, okay, so, so yeah, so we have the first Batman where he believes burning it down, and Bane I think has a similar belief, and the yeah. Joker has a similar belief. Yeah, well, the Joker doesn't have that belief. I don't think that we discussed the Joker's uh, motives previously, right? But I don't think he really cares about society structure and the poor. Right. And the so rich. one and three having the same idea though that burning it down is the only way revolution, and we've spoken about this. One of things too bad. 
And I guess the goal is to not necessitate revolution for the the rich people, you know, for the system to create mini revolutions um, as opposed to necessitating the anger that it would take to to catalyze a real one. Yeah, and, and the first Batman, that's sort of what they want. It seems like Bane wants full-on anarchy, whereas which is, which seems to be actual burning down, but... Uh, in the first in the first movie, it seems like okay they they want to promote anarchy, but they're going to be there immediately to help build the recovery. Right, what right? Did Bane they had this do? organization. It seemed like Bane was was more just wanted power. He anything. just wanted to make everything crazy, and then like he would leave. He doesn't care what happens. Oh, why he planned to bomb it at the end, right? Yeah, I don't know what his story is. But same way he had like French Revolution kind of principles. Then it looked like he wanted power, but I guess he was planning to blow up the whole city. So I don't know what his motives were. And, and then that's the idea of Batman, who won out, which is oh, but we know he was connected to Raja Gulbane anyway. He was like his relative. Yeah, the girl some, some, was the yeah. thing. So it's a continuation of that uh, story. And, and Batman is saying no to Raja Gulbane, and he's saying, "If I wasn't here, maybe you would have to burn it down. But but I'm here. There there's someone who's powerful enough." And maybe other people are, you know, looking to the future, and that—that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look to the future and and uh, make sure the society is running in a sustainable enough way that it doesn't need to burn down. Right. And what does I'm going to keep the streets Protect clean. The I'm going to make sure the society is structured in a healthy way. I'm going to use my wealth and my power as Batman uh, to do so. Right. And, th- and that's why Gotham was able to thrive. Right. Uh, it didn't need to be burned down. Batman was right. Right. But I guess it's the idea that we we need to, you know, we talk about like the Federal Reserve, uh, like, you know, sometimes they raise the interest rates or I don't know what they do that causes They the try recession. to slow down. I don't know if they try to, have you heard of them trying to cause recessions? They'll do things that they know will. They try to slow down the, slow growth, down of the, the growth of the economy of the market. because they say we can't reap too much benefit now. If we do, we're going to be hit with a, a huge crash later on. Fine, something like yeah. that. Uh, fine, it's not a recession, but they slow things down. They definitely, they definitely, uh, which always feels market. like a recession because slowed growth is recession. Because yeah, because we're accustomed. If the to stock a market goes now. up, the stock's going down. That's the only thing that slowed growth means. Yeah, it doesn't mean that it's going up, sl- you know, like literally inching up slower. Yeah, but uh, there. I mean, now the stock market has is uh, is given a lot of credence by econo- uh, economists, but in general, they're looking at the economy itself, how much production there is. Right? They're looking at GDP. Fine, but I'm but saying what GDP they are going still, to be doing. Well, stock stocks will probably dip if if you know five percent growth has been priced into the stock market. Right. If growth is slowed down to three percent, the stock market's going to fall. Fine. That's the more educated way of saying it. Yeah. Or like in the in the housing thing same thing if you let bubbles form yeah then everyone's gonna get hit yeah well that's different that time there actually was a recession there was a negative growth right rather than a slow growth because they no, let but the small b- amount of negative growth contrasted so much with where things had been projected to be based on the euphoria that they were allowing to happen that it wasn't able to withstand the small amount of negative growth yeah and that that triggered a a panicked recession because people had been forecasting that summer was coming yeah, instead of that winter summer, was coming. Yeah. Whereas if you don't get too exuberant and you don't go get carried away and you know that winter's coming and you even do things that'll slow the rate of the growth fine, um, you know, you take a year off, the GDP is going to suffer. Clearly you're working less, but that that being a formula and it's such a crazy thing that they could have known that so long ago. Yeah. Well, that's because they had it 
even more frequently, you know, uh, over a hundred years ago, maybe 200 years ago, uh, the economy was very, very cyclical. Uh, and especially the, the financial economy, you know, uh, the banks, money lending, because there was a harvest season where everyone needed money to, to harvest their crops and then they would sell their crops and now they have all this money and they would, and they would pay it back. And so you would see these huge fluctuations in demand for the dollar and, and through that fluctuations in, in how the economy was able to grow. Have we done a better job of limiting recession? Is that something that we've done? It's a good question. I don't know. I'm sure it's a it's a big debate among economists. We probably have more stability in the short term. In the short term, we definitely saying. have more stability. But you have things like the Great Depression. I'm pretty sure that was still that was uh, after the institution of the Federal Reserve. But they didn't have as much power then. And you have recently, if the Great Recession, which was you know they one of the worst recessions we've had in a long, long time, and, and that was under the eye of the Federal Reserve. How long Reserve. was that recession? Uh, three years, maybe. But it, the, the negative growth was really only for two years, maybe. But then, still, unemployment was very high. Even in, like, 2010, it was relatively high. It's but, crazy to be cognizant that winter could come without having ever even experienced any of it. It's just like yeah. throwing old man stories. The White Walkers and the others, you know, you're, you're like, all right. Yeah, the stories of the recession, the Great Depression, stories of war. Yeah. And we watch on television. We, we really see them, but like, you can't understand. No. And uh, I guess that's the point. Even though we can't understand, we still have to prepare. We have to trust uh, the wisdom that's been passed on to us by, by the previous generations. And that's what Shemitah is. They're saying... You might not be able to understand the winter because you, you live in this society that already has things built in to protect you, right? You already have, now you have these laws of Shemitah. Uh, it's not winter is coming. It's winter will come unless. Yes. Winter will come unless you, you do everything correctly. I think that's going to be my, my last line. Winter will come unless. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's a solid line. Um, and that, and that's the point. And I, I don't think that we, you know, we're not, obviously we're, we're not supposed to take it literally anymore. Like what's Shimitan Yovel? They have no more meaning in our society. Right. But I guess the idea is then to take the message, which is that, you know, don't do the thing that's going to make you rich today or the thing that's going to make you rich in five years from now or 10 years from now, or even the thing that's going to make you rich 50 years from now or for the next 50 years, uh, you have to do the thing that's really sustainable in the long term. Beyond right. you. you could you could try to amass this general gen, generational wealth for for your kids and everyone else is going to try to do that because that's society's current incentive system but that generational wealth that the wealthy build up might not it might reach their children but it might not reach their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren because it's very likely that there's some sort of social revolution right because the the, the current system doesn't work right there are too many people who are unhappy and so Given the current rules, I guess that that's all you could do, uh, and you could only take the lesson on smaller things. Right, so that, these are institutional changes, I guess, is the point, right? That if if this were running as a system, then what would it do? And it would probably have tons of holes, incentive wise, knowing yeah. humans, you know. So now I, I just see it as real estate becomes less of a way to amass wealth. So instead, you have to transfer your money into gold or something like that like even yeah. then but it shouldn't be real estate maybe it should be all capital 
And and that's what people say. That's what but capitalism they had gold is. Then, yeah. And they didn't. The system doesn't say the capital reset. Yeah. In in uh, economics, it's a big thing to look at, which is the productivity of capital versus the productivity of labor. And when capital is so Too productive, strong. then anyone who has capital is just going to continue to make more money, and so that means the rich are going to get richer. And labor people who you know who only have labor, they can only make so much money. Mm-hmm. And they you don't really get the chance to, to amass that capital. So you want to make capital less productive and labor more productive. Yeah, but cap- capital is important, and, and that's the challenge. Our, our current understanding of systems, of uh, economic systems, you know, lays uh, great, weight, great weight on capital. And so it, we can't really imagine a system without it. Right, why? Because without capital, no growth is sustained. No yeah, growth businesses would... don't just need laborers. They need factories. They need locations. They need... Uh, you know, right? If we reset the factories every year, then uh, it would definitely hinder our ability to produce things. Yeah, and businesses wouldn't be able to optimize for their factory. You know, Imagine we buy we buy twenty fields to do our soybean trade, but we know that it's a fifty year lease that we're going to have to renegotiate at the end of fifty years. May not get it. It makes it makes running business much more difficult, which makes us produce less things, which makes people have less things. But I think that what we're realizing is that the amount of things that we have is less important than how close we are and what we have. You know, like we could take this growth. This growth will happen, you know, in time equals infinity unless we blow up the planet or blow up each other. Um, And that rushing to the growth, but if that system the only way for that to work is to let some people get tons of it and some people get none is probably less of a way if you care about collective well-being people will be happier if everyone could kind of move through the stages together slower in a way that's sustainable i think i have a goal here Mm. so you were saying that this is a an institutional problem and we can't control the the institutional problem right uh and so, so what are we supposed to do? So if we realize that in a few generations, the system might, you know, might no longer be here uh, or that this, uh, you know, intergenerational wealth might not be forever, then what can you pass on to your, you know, to your many generations later to your, uh, your children? Skills, knowledge. And you could not even skills, knowledge. Yes. But that's really only one generation. You could pass on, knowledge of of how to live knowledge of how to find happiness how to find peace and that's really what the torah is and look how long it's lasted right it's this intergenerational asset in a way but it's not but it's not a financial asset it's something that that no one can take away and that if you teach your kids right if you teach your kids correctly then they're going to pass it on to their kids and if they and if they're taught correctly they'll teach their kids correctly and their kids will pass it on and it you can't break that chain I just got tingly sensations in all of my body. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's great. Right. So when I, we say knowledge, to specify more accurately what it is. Yeah. The the secrets of, of how to live. So you're basically stopping from letting anything pass on that might mislead you. Because once you have the notion that wealth could be passed on, when it clearly can't, because it's not going to come down to your grave and... You pass it for a few generations and it'll either get squandered or you're building an unsustainable system that's not going to work. Yeah. So to remove that illusion and literally remove that possibility, 
So now there's no point. It, it severely hinders capital at the... But, but then, in lieu of being able to pursue that full-heartedly, right, you're going to have to... The only thing that's going to pass through your veil cycle after your veil cycle, you know, when you're at the ground level again on year 51 or year one, what do you want your child to have then? You want him to have the skill to know how to make money again, sure, but you also want him to have the way of living that would allow him to have a good life regardless of how the dice rolls in Yovel cycle too. Yeah. And that's the knowledge of how to live a good life and how to be happy and how to whatever. And, and how to do good. Right. Yeah. And that you could create and you could and you could uh, build a system that scales there. And that's the system yeah. that we've spent all of our time building and most of our time curating and carefully passing along the, the one thing that we'll, we'll be able to work yeah. generation after generation. No, no intergenerational wealth has lasted as long as our uh, Misora has lasted. It's good stuff. That's good. I got to figure out how to put that in. So if you listen to my speech and I end up executing well on this idea, you'll know that it was Bert's. <laughs> I already invited Bert to give the speech, but he uh, declined. Yeah. Hopefully Bert will give a different speech. Maybe. They have that. In there, right? there are people that are uh, songwriters and singers. Uh, yeah, so I have a ghostwriter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Drake yeah, so that so that I think is the place where most of the focus should be. That's uh, that's the point, which I think is a theme of what we're saying. I guess that's why we think that it's worth having these kind of conversations. Yeah, this is Torah. This is what you can pass on forever. This is the tradition. I always say this to people that the tradition of the Torah is the whole point. The fact that our forefathers would debate what to do in a scenario and have these kind of conversations and that we could continue to have them and that we do continue to have them is the biggest respect that you could give. Okay, we're not arguing about the location of the moon and the date of the holiday because we have science that could predict those things with complete accuracy. <laughs> so we shift the conversation slightly, um, but hopefully in a positive way. Yeah, and I think that's the idea. You're not supposed to be having the same conversation over and over again. You're supposed to move on, cover new ground, and, and build out more, right? The Torah was one thing, and then uh, the Mishnah, the Gemara, they started touching on more ideas, building out, growing, growing the system, Game of Thrones style. Yeah, George R. R. Martin style. George R. R. Martin style. There's no ending. There's yeah, no ending. Go Just outwards. keep building outwards. Yeah, for sure. All right, should we uh, call it? This is a, a teaser intro episode. Hopefully, we'll be back more consistently. We have some uh, exciting plans for the summer. Yeah, summer is here. So, summer is here. So, hopefully, we'll but let's lay some groundwork for winter with uh, some new ideas that will uh, help us through. Exactly. So, hopefully, we'll be back more frequently during the summer. Um, we're considering doing more of the uh, content reviews. So, if you have any piece of content that you'd like to see us use as the basis for a conversation. Just text me because I haven't received any mail at ErnieandB at gmail.com. Have you? <laughs> ErnieandB at gmail.com. Well, I check it somewhat sporadically. I don't think I've checked it any time recently. Uh, someone that uh, recently was found out that they could, uh, they're not an avid listener, but they knew over the podcast. And they're like, oh, you could send them feedback. That's great. 
they said you should be able to send in feedback and i was like you can but we haven't gotten squat no we get we get a good i got a good hug and and uh you changed my life that was nice um so that that was something but yeah if you have ideas, content you want us to review, send it to Ernie at gmail.com. We have one place we can take this conversation with the emergence of Elmo into the room if Elmo's willing to contribute. No, don't read. He has like a written down <laughs> thing. This is a non-scripted, long-form conversation. Yeah, we were talking about we we're talking about the littering idea. Do you want to speak about littering a bit? I mean, we didn't speak it to touch on it much, but we didn't just, touch uh, on it to today. Intro. But you were the one who who planted the idea. Would you like to say what you what your thoughts were on littering? Elmo actually at a Friday night dinner table was going off on someone about keeping their fish. Who was? Uh, here, come closer here. Repeat that, please. You got to get closer to the mic. Please repeat that. No, it's not a whole formal thing. <laughs> Even close. Elmo is very aggressively drilling on someone to not keep their fish that they catch. Oh, he's against... He's, Some of these fish that we're fishing for are 20 years old. Is that old or young? It's pretty damn old. How old do fish live for? How long? I don't know. I'm assuming up to 30, 25. Okay, and therefore what? And therefore, to be selfish, this fish could potentially breed thousands of more eggs and more striped bass and more fluke. And your goal is to have fun and fish for these species. And by keeping the striper or fluke, or whatever fish it is, you're killing thousands of them, and it's a little bit selfish, you know? You're looking for one one dinner, maybe two dinners, but at the end of the day, you're killing you're killing the, the population, and the population is steadily declining. Yeah, well, it's very hard to understand the fishermen having moral qualms about fish, considering that they're toying with them, cat ripping them out from the water by their... By I'm not going to lie, it comes from a very weird very strange um place because it's really a little bit selfish because we want to we want to catch more of them right so it doesn't seem i mean we want to just catch more of them i mean what else are the fish there for right it still hits on our idea of sustainability though that if you're going to catch fish catch in a way that's sustainable okay but also things like that too yeah but hunting in a way is the most sustainable like other boats the fish that you buy in the supermarket they're I mean, far- farm-raised is a different matter, but uh, most people say they're less, less healthy. But wild fish, like, they throw these huge nets in the water and scoop up tons and tons of fish. Commercial fishing is what's it's is Yeah, what's I don't know much fish. about that, but that's definitely... Um, it's fine, but they're just trying to do their part. If you catch your fish and eat it, it just means you're going to buy less fish from the store. Or less meat. That's true, but there are fish that they are reproducing... Like salmon, I'm sure they're yeah, farmers, but it has uh, health problems. It's not, it's not quite the same. True, but you know, people are still eating it instead of. And they know, feed the salmon, uh, the farmer's salmon. What, what corn. was it that you were saying about litter? Why do you think that littering is the biggest sin known to man? Oh, because you know you're put on this earth, and the gift of being on this earth is obviously something that we should treasure. And we don't know much about this earth, but if we're given a gift, how could we? straight up you know trash trash the gift you know you're giving a you're giving a uh, a beautiful desk you're gonna start writing on it yeah it's not nice vandalism is something that i noticed also that fits in the same character in the same category yeah and vandal- vandalism is uh quite popular in high school <laughs> yeah so on like the wall someone wrote their name like... yeah but that's a way smaller like the earth is the earth it's but it's the same idea of of taking something that isn't scale. yours that's it's lent to you scale, yeah. and disrespecting it right and uh, in a way, that's the idea of Shemitah. 
right, that's what we're yeah, saying. Yeah, that's what we're saying. Whereas don't disrespect the land. You have it temporarily. The land is here for forever and for other people and for other animals. And uh, don't hoard it for yourself and uh, drain it of all its resources. Yeah, and I particularly hate littering because it's something that you only do in secret. Yeah. <laughs> True, that is very accurate. All crimes that you just do in secret, you know, that's like the worst. You wouldn't do it in front of people, but like if they don't know who you are, then you'll do it. Did yeah. you speak about honking yet? No, we didn't no. speak about hacking. I've spoken about hacking a lot, but I think that's for a different yeah. conversation. Yeah. I don't know if on here have we spoken about it. I don't know. Yeah, they definitely need to fix something about the horns in the cars. Yeah, yeah, we'll leave it. I have a whole uh, bit. All right. Anyhow, I think we'll wrap with that. We'll be back soon. Elmo will be back. I don't we'll know. Have another guest appearance or something special. We're not sure if we're inviting him. Um, yeah, maybe it's the, we have to hook a mic on, onto his shirt so it uh, stays at distance. It, yeah. Thanks for joining us for another episode of, of Cold, Cold Plunge. Plunge.